I mean, obviously, there there's no fact, fixed definition or, or any sort of consensus as to what constitutes fake news. And and this is true, you know, not only in, in media consumer groups, but also in the research communities. And you can find any number of academic definitions, and you can break down any number of def- demographic segments and find just a, a host of uh, similar definitions, competing definitions, and uh, and so you know the, the result is this: this vectors into something that is this incredibly general, benign definition of you know basically saying fake news is uh, you know inac- inaccurate or misleading information presented as news, but from an intelligence standpoint, that general definition and all these all these academic and consumer definitions are, are kind of besides the point because neither d- the definitions themselves nor their underlying indicators actually support actionable intelligence. Daniel John Greco has spent time in health and human services with an emphasis on economic development. He studied anthropology and psychology as an undergrad and is now working towards a graduate degree in the science of creativity. Kervin and Daniel discussed their project to fix misinformation and disinformation in digital and social media, as well as the benefits and drawbacks of the project as it pertains to free speech and cultural exchange. Daniel has a wealth of knowledge and experience that makes him uniquely qualified to tackle this extremely important endeavor. We hope you enjoy this special episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. All right, well, let's welcome Daniel Jean Greco. Is it Jean Greco? As a baseball fan, I keep wanting to say Giancarlo because there's quite a few baseball players with that name, John Greco. Yeah, so Thanks absolutely. for coming on, man. So if you could just give a little background on yourself, what you do or you know, what, you're, what you're learning and, and your experience sure, sure. so far. So uh, you know, starting with the, the professional background, um, for the past decade or so, it's been spent in, uh, in health and human services and, and concurrently economic development. Um, and education wise, my, my undergrad was focused primarily on, on anthropology and psychology. And right now I'm, I'm finishing up a, a graduate program, uh, in the science of creativity. Um, and my focus has been fo- primarily, uh, oriented around artificial intelligence and biomechanics, as opposed to the, the traditionally, uh, psychology focused, um, approach that the that the program takes, and uh, and it's it's been sort of an interesting uh, an interesting path, and, and what led me to the intelligence community was sort of noticing a lot of inconsistencies with science, and trying to find something that that kind of made this work that I was doing more relevant, um, and so that's sort of how I I think came across you and your work. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's where we started, right? You and I having a conversation in the uh, intelligence community side of it, um, and and immediately what I saw when you had reached out and messaged me was first of all how intelligent of a person you are, uh, and and sort of what in my mind I wanted to do, which was uh, create a fake news filter application something that can filter through all of the bias and, and these sort of um, catchy words that get people worked up. And it, it was just sort of this theory in my mind. But when you messaged me and in and, and your background and some of the stuff that you have worked on, 
uh, it kind of came in my mind that this is a, a good person to try to bounce these ideas off of and, and see if they have any insight into it. And so that's so this this episode, it's going to be a, a lot different from our other ones because we're just going to have a, a normal conversation like Daniel and I have been having for uh, months now in, in between sort of you know, crises and, and moves and things like that. But, uh, this is, this is something that we are trying to develop to sort of improve our, the community that we've created. And with that, it will be, it started out as fake news filter, but I think it's changing into something different and and we'll get, we'll get into that. So, um, I think where I, I want to start off with is the, the initial, what do we see as the fake news filter? And we'll start there and then work our way into the problems with it and sort of the solutions that we're, we're coming up with. So I'll, I'll start with you, Daniel, and, and ask you, what do you think the fake news filter, uh, the, the envisioning of a fake news filter oh, is? You know, it's, it's such a challenging, um, it's a really challenging question because there, I mean, there's so many issues and these range from, the definitional issues, uh, the sort of diversity and fragmentation of the communication media landscape, how to stabilize these data relationships, um, and and of course, you know, some of these these biases that that you know anyone who is trying to approach this sort of challenge is is bring, inherently bringing into it, because the the notion of fake news is such a loaded loaded and vague term, um, and and if you'll if you'll permit me to speak to the definitional issues for just a minute, that, uh, yeah, so, yeah, please. I mean, obviously, there there's no fact, fixed definition or, or any sort of consensus as to what constitutes fake news, and and this is true, you know, not only in in media consumer groups but also in the research communities. And you can find any number of academic definitions, and you can break down any number of def- demographic segments and find just a, a host of. Uh, similar definitions, competing definitions, and uh, and so you know the, the result is this: this vectors into something that is this incredibly general, benign definition of you know basically saying fake news is uh, you know inac- inaccurate or misleading information presented as news. But from an intelligence standpoint, that general definition and all these all these academic and consumer definitions are, are kind of besides the point because neither the definitions themselves nor their underlying indicators actually support actionable intelligence. And uh, to just offer a quick example that that really underscores this point and I think kind of uh, contextualizes the the issues that we're dealing with um, is is related to the, the creativity field that I'm working in. And there's this there's this perennial narrative that uh, that there's this creativity crisis, and you know, of course, this is being presented in in the news, in the media, and and obviously, I would not consider that news. I, I consider that more information, um, and uh, and they're sort of pitching it as creativity is disappearing. But this whole narrative and this rhetorical argument is is based on all these studies and meta analyses that are uh, associated with with a standard creativity test that's been around since the 1950s called the Torrance test. And the, this uh, this test developed by Ellis Paul Torrance was based on the earlier work of another researcher 
J.P. Guilford, and his, his major contributions to psychology are now largely invalidated because the premise of his research was, was basically inconsistent with the scientific method, and his statistical approaches were abysmal. Uh, and so when creativity researchers started seeing this steep decline of, of tests, creativity scores in the 90s, there was never any consideration as to whether the issue was their own definitions and indicators. Because on the one hand, they you know, were entirely unaware that their definitions and indicators were never scientifically valid in the first place. But importantly, that that validity, uh, they were treating it as somehow temporally immune from all these socio-ecological changes that were occurring over the subsequent decades. You know, issues like globalization, automation, all these socio-political changes happening at state, national, international levels, uh, environmental changes, and, and obviously kind of bringing this right back around to our discussion, uh, the issue of you know, how, how consumers are now interacting with computational technologies and, and communication media. So, um, you know, so when we're sort of framing this issue of fake news, we have to recognize that anything that we want to do in this space to, uh, to objectively explore its meaning and, and sort of why that, why that definition matters or why that term even matters, uh, you know, we have to keep a focus, a perpetual focus on that issue of, of temporal validity and, and how it contextually applies or doesn't apply to any given definition or set of indicators relative to whatever that media product or st- structure or platform is. Uh, because these, you know, these technologies and these ecologies that we're engaging with are constantly changing. And if we're looking to develop something, you know, something that's actionable, we shouldn't ever be relying on, on a limited or, or static definition because over time that, that temporal validity is just going to get wiped away. So that's, that's sort of my, yeah. So the definitions, if I'm, if I'm hearing this correctly, and I'm sure the audience now understands why I say Daniel is one of the most intelligent people I've spoken to. <laughs> definitions are like a living idea. It's not a set. Definitions can right. change over time. And that's sort of one of the problems that right, we're exactly. having. Exactly. And so, you, you know, you can have that general definition like, uh, you know, fake news is misleading or you know, incorrect information presented as news. And, and that can always be true. But depending on, you know, where you're, how you're perceiving it, whether it's based on an age demographic or a political demographic, your interpretation of how that then translates to, to a you know, a news source is going to be completely different. So those general definitions really don't ground, you know, they don't, they don't give us anything actionable to work from. And, and so really, you know, you have to go a number of levels deeper to really figure out the context. And that's, that's sort of the, the fun and the, the difficulty of, of whatever this turns into. Yeah. And, and then even from there, I guess we can get on to sort of, uh, the, the media diversification. Mm -hmm. So, um, what can be fake news for someone on the left is definitely not fake news. Fake yeah. news to someone on the right, um, and, and so we've got to conte- con- we've got to conceptualize both right. sides of it and, and both sides of the argument to come to a, a middle ground, and and then from there the problem becomes who right. wants to read right. that exactly? Yeah, and 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 especially uh, you know if you're thinking about it in terms of uh, you know where where people are are getting their their media 
where people are getting their news, where people are getting their information, you've got all these different pathways. You know, you can, I mean, nowadays you can send a text and you can load it in an article and, and send that along. You can find a, uh, you know, a news brief on, on TikTok. You can, you know, you can find aggregated news where users have put in their own headlines, sort of replacing the original headlines. And, and so these, these demarcation lines between what's news, what's information, and, and sort of the pathways that get you sort of bouncing from news to information to entertainment to whatever else uh, through these same channels becomes really this sort of intractable mess. You know, you can jump from a text to an application to a, you know, a news site, um, you know, within a couple minutes. And, uh, and it makes it really challenging to sort of pin down, you know, what, what's the area that you're going to focus on. Yep. And I think the, so the headline thing is a, is a great distinction because that's where it all started for me years ago in with, with this onset of corporate media where everything is based off of ad- advertisement and clicks. And so you've got these, uh, what everyone would call clickbait headlines, where the, the headline is telling you how to think, but the actual, uh, the actual body of the article has nothing to do with what the headline right. said. And, and so how the concept becomes, how do you change that? You know, you can change the headline, but then you've actually changed uh, somebody's work. Uh, then we get into, you know, copyright and free speech and, yeah. and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's uh, well, I mean, and, and to add to add on to that, as if that wasn't enough already, you're you know, you're in this landscape where, you know, media consumers and media producers are kind of becoming one and the same. Uh, you know, you have influencers who on one day might be peddling a, a product or a personal interest and then the next day, you know, promoting an ideology. And and there's not necessarily uh, disclosure around that. And so you're you're seeing this sort of intertwining of of the financial interests with um, you know legitimate news or information interests and uh, and it's really tough to tease out. And and then you you know you have all the the kind of traditional issues with misinformation, disinformation. Is it are your sources coming from mainstream media, alternative media, new satire? Uh, you know, are you reading sponsored content that reads like a news article? Is it straight up propaganda? Um, and and so it just it presents a really challenging landscape that you know we're an individual media consumer is you know, really has to be attuned to this if they, if they don't want to be susceptible to it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so what we're not trying, what we're not trying to do is inundate people with headlines and the word fake, true opinion, uh, entertainment and, and that kind of stuff, because I think that you knowledge is power. I know that's a cliche kind of thing to say, but the more you read and and the more differing opinions you look into that are outside of your bias actually improves your intellect and, and it improves your um, 
it, it improves the way that you interact with other people. Mm-hmm. It, that's what I believe. And so I'll throw it over to you on, on what you sure. think on that. Yeah. And, and there's, there's, there's obviously evidence for that. There's, and there's also evidence that, uh, depending on the, the pathway of exposure, right. If I'm, you know, if I'm chatting with someone who is of an op, you know, an opposing political ideology and I'm trying to, you know, prove them wrong about something and I pull up what, you know, what I think is a, a very credible, legitimate piece of news to, to sort of disprove what they're saying. There's also evidence that shows that that, that might end up reinforcing their position. Uh, and so really that it's that issue of like, how, how does anybody make headway with, with this, uh, with these competing perceptions and understanding of what fake news is. Yeah. And I think one of the big problems that we talked about a few days ago was do people actually want to have their bias, um, for lack of a better term that I can't think of right now, attacked or, um, have competing biases put before them? Um, so that, that's a question for the, for the listeners, for the community and, and definitely get on to the community and, and tell us what you think about this, because I go back and forth, uh, you know, as for me personally, in in my personality, I like to see the side by side of both biases and see why people think a a certain thing, a certain way, because it, there is nothing that everyone agrees on. You can throw out a, uh, you can throw out a factual historical event and find two people that see it in the exact opposite way. And, and there's reasons for that. And so that, that becomes another problem that we will have to get into, which is uh, sort of understanding people's background and why they developed these biases before you can even um, get a control right. group for, for this filter. Yeah, yeah. it makes it, it, makes it a, a really difficult a really difficult challenge. And, and obviously there's, I mean, I think we're both coming at this from, from an interest in data and an interest in seeing these comparisons, but how far, how far does that really extend into the consuming public? Presumably there are some people that are really interested in that and and others that aren't. And, and I guess when we think about it in terms of uh, benefit and harm, you know, is there, is there much good that that we're doing in creating something that the people who are at most risk of sort of being susceptible to kind of the the harm factors, uh, you know, is is this really effectively engaging them? Yeah. Is that who we're trying to engage? So, I mean, as as we're sort of thinking about what this looks like, figuring out who who the audience is going to be, because obviously, if if it's just sort of uh, pandering to people who already share this perspective then is it just sort of refining their, you know, their personal radar around this stuff, but really just enforce, you know, reinforcing kind of perspectives that they already have, or, or is this, you know, offering something new to a different community? Um, and yeah. Yeah. I want to tell, I want to say to the audience, this will not be a reinforcement <laughs> of bias that, uh, that, that is something I, um, I really want to work on and it's working on with my own biases because both you and I both have biases and we probably have competing biases, having different backgrounds, living in different areas. Um, and, and so that's probably where the start comes from is, um, noticing our own biases and then trying to solve that in our own before even promoting it out to the audience. 
Um, so, so you talk about the benefit and harm. Now, now the benefit is obvious, right? Uh, we, we've seen that sort of with the Russian misinformation during, uh, during the conflict and the war in Ukraine. The benefit with open source intelligence analysts sort of uh, identifying misinformation, identifying act, you know, factual news that's going on and presenting that on social media has been a benefit uh, to getting the word out. Uh, so I, I'd like with that benefit scene, I, could you speak to more of what you would see as the harm of what what harm could come from actually having this filter? Sure. And, you know, I think there's less the harm is not necessarily in in having a filter that looks at this but the you you take a take an issue like um gosh the you know any of the the numbers that are thrown out there for uh how many how many soldiers have died or been captured or or this or that uh and and when you're trying to to sort of present that uh information in, in a news context, you know, how is that getting used? Uh, you know, is it being used to present just straight facts or is it being presented as some sort of contextualized indicator to, to suggest something, you know, about, you know, uh, one, one metric of the war that, that the news, uh, you know, the journalist or the, or the news organization thinks that we should be focused on. And so, you know, with regard to developing a, a filter, I think to me one of the one of the risks is um, understanding, you know, how much context is needed to maintain what you know whatever we're defining news as news, and and can can a filter detect when there's a there's a threshold of information that exceeds that that starts to turn it into this uh, commentary. Um, and, and right, right. Or opinion. And, and if you move, if you move too far into that, presumably, you know, the, the pathways of kind of truth start to differentiate and, and even just focusing on one side or another side of a particular issue is, is going to inform a bias. And so, you know, obviously there's that, that issue of defining kind of the timeliness of the news and, and the context of the news and, and obviously with the harm you know, we know that that algorithms can have some pretty profound impact uh, impacts on how people are conceptualizing the world, and right. So, yeah, yeah. Facebook is is probably the biggest, uh, most highly known uh, of that. You know how how algorithms on Facebook have pretty much changed some people's perspectives right. on the world, right. and you can, you know, it's the same with YouTube, and you can get sucked into these these sort of monetized funnels where, you know, the, the focus of the algorithm is to maintain your engagement, not necessarily uh, make sure that you're uh, getting accurate information. Um, and yeah. yeah. And if, and anything that you create that, uh, you know, you want to monetize, you've got mm-hmm. to have engagement. Um, and so there's, you know, there's one of the huge uh, harms that can, can come out of this is, uh, and as I see it, you know, everyone that creates these things, they come, they, they start it with good intentions and, and they yep. want to fix the world. And then with, you know, with money comes corruption and you've got a, the, the cycle of, 
um, of money and finances start to dwindle. And so then you've got to do some shady things in order to keep right. people engaged. And, and so that, that'll be one of the things that I'm definitely putting down as something yeah. to watch out for and, and hope not to go through yeah, that and, process. And another issue with regard to harm, um, and I'll kind of bring this back to the, the creativity parallel is, uh, you know, given that it's it's sort of really based in a lot of debunked science, you you find a number of biases and and indicators of scientific racism and eugenics and ableism, and so um, and and obviously a lot of this is also based on indicators looking at uh, successful white Western males, and but this is being promoted to right. an international audience, and so particularly if we're thinking about a product that is being, you know, made available to, to a wide audience, you know, how do you make it culturally competent <laughs> and how do you, uh, how do you avoid those biases that are really based in, you know, very, you know, culturally subjective indicators. And so that to me is one of the, one of the more interesting and, and presumably challenging tasks that, that we'll have to be looking at. Yeah, we won't even get into, you know, different right, languages right. and, you know, what those, what those words mean as somebody who's, who's an Arabic linguist and you go from the root of a word and depending on how it is in the sentence, it changes the actual definition yep. of the word. Um, so, I mean, those are far off in, into the future in my mind, but it's something that those, those cultural exchanges are going to be key in, in a mass sort of mass distribution of right. this product. Right. Because you're, you know, you're, you're looking at data that as, as you just pointed out, there's this complex linguistic landscape that you're sort of having to superimpose over this constantly moving technological and, and communication media landscape. And, and so, you know, you're really looking at this, uh, this for lack of a better word, like a multi-body problem where, where it's all moving and, and how are you, how are you going to ground that? How are you going to, kind of uh, stabilize the definitions, the, the meaning, the value to a given, a given user of an application like this. Yeah. So, you know, what, what is the value and what if, you know, going through this and, and you run, run the algorithms and you, you go through years of process and development and beta testing and you find out, well, actually uh, fake news is actually beneficial. It actually, it actually, starts a conversation and one can actually in a one-on-one -on -one conversation um, develop new uh, information and new intellect and, and then we realize well we, what we did was very wrong <laughs> and it actually got people to not communicate right. anymore so it's another thing I, I want to try to push against yeah uh, doing and, and that. what what I want it to be is is two opposite people that believe two totally opposite things from two totally opposite backgrounds can come together and have a conversation and kind of agree on some of the stuff that is factually sure. correct. Yeah. And, and that makes, and that makes a lot of sense. And the fact that that's, you know, that's going into the thought process at the beginning is, is really important. That issue of, you know, uh, making sure that the, um, the, you know, the facts, <laughs> the facts are, uh, reliable and, and are able to be validated, you know, through, through external sources and that those facts can be agreed upon from competing ideological perspectives. Uh, and, and to the point about, 
um, making sure that you know we're considering that alternative possibility that that we're contributing additional harm with something like this is really important because right so we're this is a, an entirely new media landscape is is this perception that fake news is a problem defining it as a problem are we uh, just reacting to sort of a growing pain in in how people engage and process information and is, is this sort of like a, a fear-based attempt to to control that and to stabilize it when you know maybe a, a generation from now that contention just sort of eases up on its own and are yeah oh that's that's an excellent point daniel because uh you know just just recently scroll doing doing the wrong thing scrolling through instagram uh i did see a sort of uh well so it was a news article from the 1800s on why the telegraph is uh, actually the worst thing that could happen to human civilization that the uh the, the speed at which information went in the telegraph which was you know in in days we're not talking about seconds like we're talking about now that process is actually detrimental to uh, human civilization and the, the saying that why do you need to know that so and so died in a far off land that on a tuesday as opposed to a wednesday uh, what does that do differently to affect sure. your life um and, and we look now and we go oh my goodness man well, let me tell you about 2022 where information is coming in right. milliseconds and you you have you hear news stories tragic news stories live you know in near real right. time right and i mean it it brings up the issue of uh free speech and and sort of the the benefits of this continually diversifying landscape where you know on a daily basis we are probably getting more exposure to to different cultural perspectives or or at least have that opportunity to have exposure to different cultural perspectives you know more than at, at any point in in human history and and you know we can see that as a benefit uh, for some people <laughs> obviously i would imagine that they perceive that as a harm um but the fact that uh that there is that exposure and that that exposure is never going to go away right that's not you know you can't sort of unring that bell uh it seems that the issue is more about kind of making meaning in in the fact that that's available and, and how to how to process that and and the speed at which we want to process it um because obviously that that 24-hour news cycle is is uh relentless and you know there's this whole um th there's a phrase called doom scrolling where you know you can wake up in the morning and just yes. flick through hundreds of just awful stories about what's going on in the world and that can that can obviously have a, a huge psychological effect yeah we, i mean we, we've gone from having where you've got and we'll talk 24 7 news cycle you know cable news on at all times but at least those news organizations on cable television they they decided it was immoral or unethical to sort of post some of these videos and photos of um, dismembered people or, or dead bodies and things like that. There, in, we get into this um, doom scrolling, and there is no, you know, formula of 
let's be ethical. Let's be, um, let's kind of move these away. And if you want to see those images, uh, you can see them. And, and sometimes even if you don't, you will be inundated with those images. And now social media platforms are trying to work against that. Um, but what detriment what does that do? Because now you have, uh, especially right now, let's say the, the, the conservative side of America sees these um, this this sort of blocking of images, and they go, "Well, why did you block my video? You you must be biased towards me." Um, and, and so, yeah, that's and it goes yeah. back to benefit and harm, right? So, the social media and their algorithm saw, well, it would be a benefit, and it is ethical and it is moral to do this. But within that algorithm, it sort of cut out other things that it may have been biased towards some other things. Maybe someone on someone that's more progressive has something that's cut out that was talking about, you know, Marxist idealism. And they said, well, why did you you must be biased? Why did you cut my stuff out? It's it's, it's another problem that, that we will have to adjust to once those first outputs yeah, come out. Absolutely. Because it's if you're if you're coming at it from from a particular ideology and you don't see your ideology reflected, then you know it sort of uh, inhibits the value of that product for those for those consumers. And so how do you how do you allow some some of the content that you know we personally might perceive as as biased into the mix uh, as as potentially a springboard towards you know other content that through whether algorithms or, you know, direct engagement and, and polling, uh, they've indicated that they're, you know, they're wanting to see other perspectives. Uh, and to me, that's, you know, there's a, there's a real value in that. And, you know, when you're, let's say you're looking at some of this, this medical, uh, medical news or, you know, some of these more consumer oriented, uh, science, um, you know, like science daily, some of these sources, you, you know, you're you're giving a consuming public exposure to entirely new sources of information that they've that they've never had access to before, and and so there's there's obviously that's going to be handled in, in a number of different ways, but at a at a base level, uh, you know, th- that from a free p- speech perspective is is a great thing, and so of course. You know, we're, we're going to have people interpreting these studies and results differently. <laughs> Everyone's an armchair expert these days. And yeah. Oh, yeah. And and in all that, you know, what I have found is that the, the, an, a normal human being reading something that they do not understand then begins to formulate conspiracy right. theories. <clears throat> uh, that conspiracy theory then becomes, um, then gets enhanced with <clears throat> others that are around now before the age of, and, and some of our listeners may be too young to remember before we had social media, but before this flat earthers and, and those kind of ideologies were seen as very fringe. And you may have met one person mm-hmm. in, in your lifetime that believed that, or that talked about it or who was passionate about it. Uh, but now you have that person who's passionate about it, who, who now can meet up, uh, virtually with, you know, maybe a million other people. That's, that is in raw numbers. A million people is yeah. a lot of people. Now, it, when you do that, when you 
put a percentage to that on the entire global population, that is a fraction of a percent of the population. But now they have a voice. And when a million people speak at one time, action happens. Sure. And and obviously, yeah. That's... Uh, Go ahead. Sorry sorry for cutting you off. I was just going to say, bringing it back to the issue of harm... You know, we can we can speak broadly about you know it it can cause harm, but more specifically, where where have the instances of harm actually originated? And so, in relation to the, the conspiracy theories, you know that is that's obviously you know fake news might have broad engagement with with a wide audience, but it's usually some of these discrete expressions within that fake news that are that are really going to be compelling to certain groups of people. And and so that's I think where you know some of the focus should be given in terms of yeah the the conspiracy theory content and and really you know is there a way to to algorithmically uh, offer a, a a jumping off point from conspiracy content to something that's at least based in you know, something approaching fact, <laughs> objective fact. Yeah. And that's where I think sort of, so the intelligence cycle, I think can be used as much, much like the scientific method, um, a, as a way to kind of <clears throat> go away from the biases because so for anyone who doesn't know the intelligence cycle, so you have planning, sort of planning and direction, which is just, you know, planning what, um, what you're creating, or, or it usually is based off of a customer. A customer asks for a specific thing, and then you start the planning process. And then it's the collection. So then it's collecting all the data, all the information. The next is the processing of all that data and information. Once all that is done, then and only then can you begin your analysis and production. So instead of having in your head, you know, car accidents in this area are the worst in the whole in your community or the worst in the whole world. But that thought doesn't come until the analysis portion. So you've got all the data, you've processed it, you've loaded it up, it's visualized. And then you go, Oh wait, there's like 12 other uh, communities that are much worse than mine. So now you've analyzed that and then you can disseminate it. What you, what you can't do, is then sort of go back and say, "Oh, well, let me change this so that it fits my narrative." Right, right. That is, and that is such a such an important point. And one of the things, you know, I, I think the issue of fake news is a, is a great parallel to the issue of of pseudoscience. And you know, again, this, when when it's being discussed with the loaded language of a crisis, you know, we're, we're looking we're looking at this. Uh, "Quote unquote crisis" with regard to um, social, a lot of social science research from the past fifty years, and and you know even further back. And how are we, how are we continuing to to promote and and disseminate what sounds incredibly legitimate and credible coming from academic institutions all over the country, but is in fact based on you know, this massive, you know, spurious correlation and unfalsifiable hypotheses. So it's, it makes it just a really challenging, um, a challenging landscape to kind of negotiate, even if you have the best intentions and yeah. Right. And so then that, 
as we wind down here, that circle but circles back to the question of does anyone want this? And and so that's the that's the most important question, right. you know. Right. Uh, when you're creating something, now it's not the most Im- important question globally or geopolitically, but when when you are creating something for an audience or creating something for a customer, you have to they have to want it, um, uh, and so that's why I am very glad. And I want to thank Daniel for coming on because uh, first of all, the conversation is incredible, and I think everyone is going to benefit uh, from everything that you've said. And so I, I just want to end it with you know, do you guys want this? I mean, is this something that you're, that you guys are interested in and please, you know, hit us up, go on the community site, email, whatever, just, is this something that's viable? And I think that's what both of us, uh, want to, want to hear before we put tons (laughs) of money into this kind of thing. Absolutely. Tax day is coming. Oh no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Well, thank you, Daniel, for uh, for coming on and uh, spending your time. You're recording this on a Friday, so thank you for spending your Friday yeah. doing this and all of yeah, your thank insights. Thank you for having me on. All right. Until next time, stay safe out there. <laughs>